prayer amidst all the frantic, small little feet frolicking to and fro from the chapel to go downstairs. I like that word, frolic. Sorry, let's pray. Father God, we just uh, we thank you for uh, who you are. We thank you that we as a church body, uh, big or small, can come together and sing of your majesty, sing of your goodness, sing of how amazing your love is and that it continually works through us even when we're unaware of it or just living our lives. Uh, I pray now that as we open up your word and um, ponder what it has for us that you would uh, give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, um, hearts to be changed by it as we're reminded of um, what the resurrection means. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, man, I'll just be totally honest with you guys. Um, I've been sitting trying to come up with like a story or a something to start off the sermon, and I'll be honest, I got like a hundred different ideas going off in my head. Um, but, how about I'll go with this. Um, it's always the human condition, right? And you guys, I think, will all relate to this because we're all human, I hope. Unless there's robots in here I don't know about. Anyways. Um, we tend to, when we get something, say like a blessed technology, like just electricity, right? We get electricity. We get used to it. And we get so used to it that we kind of don't think about it anymore, right? It's just there, always working, always doing its job. But then maybe a season comes where the electricity disappears and we don't have it anymore. What do we long for then? Oh, man, I wish I had that electricity. My heater working would be nice. The fan above my bed working would be nice. Or just having a light, that would be nice. And then when we get it back, we have this new appreciation for it, right? We're like, wow, I missed this. But that's like the human condition, right? Like we do that. Or we never really ever in our normal day-to-day lives take the time to go, wow, my elbow is working really good this morning, right? Like we just don't think about it because our elbow is working fine. But if you break your arm and you can't move your elbow for a few months, Man, when you can move your elbow again after it heals up, what are you thinking? Man, I'm loving this. Got full range of motion, man. This is great. This is awesome. I appreciate it. I have a new appreciation for it because I lost it for a while. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5 this morning. And, you know, Eric's been kind of going through and talking to us about the resurrection. And I like how... You know, we're going through the book of Mark, and he talked about this idea of the apostles and what an apostle meant, right? An apostle, and, you know, of course, Jesus, you know, being the son of God and doing whatever he wants, kind of repurposes it. But its original meaning was just um, a message bearing witness about something that happened. That's essentially what apostle meant. And so he takes it and turns his disciples into these apostles because the apostles had witnessed something that changed history forever, right? They witnessed the resurrected Christ. 
bodily resurrected. He wasn't some ghost going through walls and stuff. He was resurrected, ate some fish, maybe sautéed with some mushrooms. I don't know. Did they sauté things back then? I don't know. Maybe they did. Sounds delicious, though. Now I'm hungry. But he was there. He came back from the dead after being dead for three days. And not just dead, but like brutally tortured, unjustly, hung on a cross, which a cross in that day and age is like the most brutal way to this day to die. The Romans were experts at coming up with ways to kill people in the most brutal fashion possible. And the cross was their, like, their, their magic, like, here it is. We figured it out. We know how to make someone suffer greatly before they die agonizingly. The cross. And so he didn't just die. He died brutally. But then he comes back. And it changes everything. The resurrection changes so much. And so these apostles go out, and they're willing to die for this. I mean, and they die in brutal ways too. But they're unwilling to be like, hey, I'm not going to change my mind on this. This happened. I saw this. You can't get me to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. This is what I saw. This is what is true. Now, for us, you know, a couple hundred years has passed, maybe more. I'm terrible with uh, dates and numbers and stuff. Ask my wife. I'm terrible at math. But a long time, it's been a long time since this all happened. And so I was thinking to myself as I was prepping for this week, um, sometimes until we see the full scope of, I don't know, something, we won't really understand the other something. See how I was wrestling with coming up with an intro? I'm kind of making it up on the spot. Sounds terrible. How about we just get into the text? And we'll go from there. Please forgive me. Here we go. It'll make more sense as we go. Uh, A few things about the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul was an apostle because he saw Christ resurrected. And he calls himself the lowly of the apostles, but he wrote most of the New Testament, which is pretty cool. And he wrote this letter... And I don't know why they call it a letter, because it's so long. It's a really long letter. And maybe it's because I live in 2023. If someone sends me a text message that's more than like a K, I lose interest right away. Right? Like my wife will send me a grocery list, and I'll be like, yeah, I got the celery. Did you see the other ten things I told you to get? Uh Uh-uh. No, I didn't read that part. Sorry, I got bored. Right? So anyways, this is a long-winded letter written by Paul, and he wrote it to a church. And you know what he's doing? He's explaining the gospel. He's explaining the impact that the resurrection has on this church. And that's that's why he wrote it. And in this particular section, he's going to help us see the full scope of sin. Now, in Romans chapter 1, he had kind of unpacked that already, right? Like if you go and read Romans chapter 1, sin is, hey, I don't need God. I can do this myself. Sin is, I don't need to obey his commandments because, you know, I'll make my own commandments. I got this. And Romans 1 is God essentially going, okay, have fun with that. And then we all go to our own destruction, right? That's how Romans 1 goes. But now he's coming back around to it. And what he's going to do to kind of help us understand how amazing God's grace is 
through the resurrection. He's going to help us see the full scope of sin. And I'll explain what I mean. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, he's talking about Adam. We'll get to it in the next uh, verse here. But essentially what he's doing here is he's saying, Hey, Adam, who started all this mess, right? Go back to Genesis 3. And again, we like to blame Eve for it, but it was Adam's fault. Sorry, guys. We have to, like, own that as men. We tend to be passive and watch as a talking snake has a delicious, was it a pomegranate? I heard someone argue that once. A piece of fruit to Eve. Hey, eat this, right? And so it's on Adam. And Adam's sin affected everything. Affected us. Now, it's hard for us in our culture to grapple with this nowadays. Because most of us were raised under the American ideal of independence, right? Individualism, right? I reap my own consequences. No one else does. I don't have to pay for someone else's because that's not on me. That's on them, right? Would you agree with that? That's, that's the culture we live in. So it's hard for us to grasp this idea of one man sinning affecting everyone else. In fact, in our minds, we go, that's unfair. It doesn't seem right that that would have to be the case, right? Why would Adam's sin have to affect me? And Paul essentially explains it. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, this one verse has been very controversial and people have debated it over and over and over again. Um, I, I think I'll take a middle ground approach to it and just say this. Because we live in a day and age where we're not fans of this idea of a person being a representative for all of humanity, bringing sin into the world, like it's hard for us to grapple with it. But that is what it is. And if you actually read it, the way Paul writes it, it's just an assumed understanding because back then they would have understood that culturally. They would have understood this idea of someone representing a whole. And it's no mistake that Adam's name actually means man or human, right? That's what his name means. So it kind of, for them, it makes sense. Like, okay, Adam's sin, his disobedience cost everyone everything. But then the other side of the coin is, is that because all sinned. We've all sinned. And so that plays into our individualistic, I guess, desire as an American culture, right? Like we have all sinned. We can't get around it. We can't pretend. We can get mad at Adam all day, but put any one of us in the situation, we would have made the same mistake. We would have eventually sinned, Right? And so, in order to understand the depth and the scope of what Christ's resurrection means, we have to understand the full scope of what sin means, right? We have to understand that sin affects everything. And because of Adam's sin, we live in a world that is run by death, is it not? If... uh, 
you know, I'm going to attempt to use a farming analogy, and I'll probably mess it up because I'm not a farmer, even though I've lived here my whole life. Um, a lot of, well, fertilizer, right? That's something dead and gross and disgusting, right? But what does it do? It helps you grow a good crop. Death brings us crops. Something dies, it turns into fertile soil. That fertile soil grows something new. Our world is run by death. It wasn't meant to, but it does. That's the full scope of sin. The full scope of sin for the individual, then, and not just the world, is that we sin. And it's not even that sin is a bad act that we do. It's just that our hearts are broken, right? It's that every single day we are selfish, we're angry for the wrong reasons, we're making choices that make us look good and others look bad or whatever, right? Um, I'm walking through Proverbs with the kids in Sunday school. There's just two kids who have the attention span of newts. So I had to repeat myself a lot. Love you guys. Um, but we were talking about this idea of Proverbs offering us wisdom like, and how to deal with relationships, right? And, like, we're really bad at that kind of stuff, right? Like, Proverbs tells us that, like, we have to... Hey, if we have a problem with someone, speak to them. Talk to them about it. Don't go behind their back and be like, well, so-and-so made me so mad. Right? No. We talk to them. But we have to be taught that because we're sinful. And it's hard for us to grasp it because it's a lot easier to sin. It comes natural to us. If you don't believe me, have children. I never taught my kids how to lie. I never sat Zach down and said, listen, bro, here's how you lie. No, he just knows how to do it. I had to teach him to do what? Not lie. I had to teach him how to tell the truth. Until we understand the full scope of our sinfulness and Adam's sinfulness, right, because he represented all of humanity and his sin affected everything, we won't fully understand the scope of the resurrection. And I believe that's what Paul's trying to argue here. <gasps> Slow load. I, it was blank on my side. I got worried there. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even more those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. Now, in this letter to the Romans, Paul is talking to both Jews and Gentiles, and he's trying to unite them because they're in disagreement and they're fighting. And he's trying to prove to them that the resurrection, the gospel, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection impacts not just the Jew, but it impacts the Gentile as well. And so he helps them to understand the fact that sin isn't just breaking the law because sin was around before the law was even around, right? law of Moses, which is what the Jews would have held to. And so he's trying to help them understand the scope of it. Because sin doesn't just affect one person or another, it affects everyone, right? Really, that should bring a lot of unity to us, right? It's like, hey, if I have nothing in common with you, at least we're fellow sinners together. Amen? No? All right. Well, it was worth a shot. Amen to me. Okay. 
But Paul is trying again to help them see the full scope of this idea, right? It's Easter season. I'm going to be honest with you. I tend to forget the importance of a holiday like Easter because I'm so sucked into my own world. that, like, I came up here just now and gave announcements, and I was like, oh, right, Easter's in two weeks. That's a thing, right? The human condition. When we become familiar with something and we've done it our whole lives, we kind of forget about its impact it's supposed to have, right? And so Paul continues on, and he's saying, hey, Sin was around before Moses. Let's unite under this. Let's understand this. Let's, let's look at this and see its full scope. Who was a type of the one who is to come? Now, what Paul is about to do here in the next verse is he's going to compare Adam to Christ. And the reason he's going to do that is because he wants us to understand not just the scope of sin, and its effect on the whole world, but he wants us to understand the scope of the resurrection. He wants us to understand the scope of what grace is. And he's using two huge, compar- or actually one huge comparison in order for us to see its impact, right? But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, being Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So here's what he's doing. Sin runs deep, right? Sin runs so deep that it runs the very world we live in, right? Hey, guys, grace is bigger. That's what he's saying. And he's trying to help us see the scope of God's grace by comparing it to the scope of sin. Not just our sin, but sin as a whole in the world. Yes, Adam's one trespass brought sin into the whole world so that all of us die and are given death because of it. Right? But Christ's free gift, that justification that we receive through him, has the same effect. In fact, it has a bigger effect than sin because it rescues us, because it justifies us, because it makes us whole and new. It gives us a desire to want to tell the truth, to want to fight our inner fleshiness that wants to lie all the time. Right? That's what it does. And that's what Paul wants his readers to see. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. He's saying, hey, yeah, sin affects everything, but grace affects more. Christ coming and dying and rising again three days later fixes that death. He's, he's comparing it so that we see how big it is. 
loading slow. Come on. I thought I got the fancy new iPad. I guess I have to turn. Oh, no, there it is. Sorry. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Again, he's continuing to compare, right? Um, the old Puritan saying, I wish I remember who said it, he said, till grace be bitter, sorry, till sin be bitter, wow, till sin be bitter, grace will not be sweet. Until we understand the depths of sin, we will not understand how good grace is. Um, until I break my arm and can't move my elbow for six months, I will not be able to understand how awesome it is that I have a working elbow. Does that make sense? And so if this one trespass that Adam pulled off led to all men sinning, all of humanity living in sin, how much more will the obedience of Christ lead to our righteousness and salvation? That's what he's trying to help us see. He's trying to help us see that grace outdoes sin. And I don't know about you guys, when you're living in the muck of the world that you're in, right, in your day-to-day life, it's hard to see that. Because sin seems to be kind of winning right now, right? And I'm not just talking about, like, the wickedness that us people pull off, but, like, sin, death. It's just a part of the very nature of the world we live in. It's everywhere. And so sometimes it's hard to like step back and be like, this resurrection changes everything. This resurrection has a huge impact. But it's hard for us to see. I'll be honest, it's hard for me to see. But Paul's reminder, I mean, that's what he wants to do, right? He wants to remind us, hey, Wow, how abundant is his grace. And actually he ends when he says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, a few verses ago he talked about the idea that sin was around before the law, right? But then the law came into play, right? And this isn't a bash on the law, right? The law is good. The law shows us, like, oh, okay, so that's what I need to do. Oh, don't do that? That's probably a good idea. Right? The law is good. But the law also makes us aware of it. Now, um, if my son, I don't know, says a swear word, okay? If he's never heard that word before, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, bro, that's a bad word. We probably shouldn't say that. All right, let's just, you know, that's a bad word. We don't say that word, right? But if he's aware that it's a bad word and he says it, it's worse, right? That's what this text is saying. Because we're aware of the law, because we're aware that we shouldn't steal, kill, and destroy things, and yet we continue to do it, that's what he's saying. Which actually almost adds weight to sin, right? Because now it's not our natural state. Now we're aware that we shouldn't be doing it, but yet we continue to do it. But 
where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what I want you guys to get this morning. Easter is coming. It is easy to only focus on the world we're living in now. It's easy to focus on all the stuff I have to do and get done. Like, man, I feel so bad for kids these days because they just seem to be so busy all the time. It's rough. Like, I was looking at sports the other day. Go, 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 go. Football, volleyball. One week later, basketball. One week later, after that season's over. Track. One week later, after track's over. Swimming. One week later, right? It's a full year thing. All they do is go, 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 go. On top of 4-H, FFA, and all the other things that kids have to do. And school. I mean, who wants to learn? Just kidding. Go to school. Anyways. Because of the busyness that we live in, it's hard for us to take a step back and go, and, and maybe this is the question you have to ask yourselves this morning. Has the resurrection, like if I step back from my busy day-to-day life and I reflect on this, like what he did, right? The Bible says that the resurrection conquered sin and death. What does that mean for us? What do we do with that? How, how does that change my day-to-day life? I think this Easter, that's what we need to do. We need to think about those things. Because again, familiarity breed, breeds like contempt and we forget. Right? Is contempt the right word? I'm going to go with it. Correct me afterwards. But if we become familiar with this idea of the resurrection and every year we celebrate it, yay, but it has no impact on our day-to-day lives. I'm like, what? Or if we actually like sit back and think about it. He conquered sin and death. He set me free. His grace is sufficient for my day-to-day failings. In my weakness, I am strong because I'm not my own anymore. I'm Christ's. The resurrection impacts and changes everything about how we look at the world, how we look at our family, our co-workers, everything. And the challenge for us is to take a step back and like remember that. And we also need to be aware of our ability to sin, right? But don't get so focused on it that you forget that like grace is far bigger and better, right? So my challenge for you guys is to go out and reflect on the resurrection. How does it impact you? How does it change you? What does it mean? Don't get lost in your busyness. Remember that this matters. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that even though we tend to be forgetful and we tend to get sucked into the busy, that you give us this opportunity on a Sunday morning to step back and reflect on your resurrection. Lord, I ask that you would give us a desire to grow and yearn and learn, that you would give us uh, 
a reminder that this matters. And help us to live out of that. Help us not to live out of the assumption of our sinfulness, but to live out of the assumption of your grace, that we can grow and change and that there is hope. Help us to step back from the busyness and reflect on you. Help us to see that you matter. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.